Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Got uh, all kinds of stuff to try to get to today, Bud. Some good buy or sell mailbag questions that we've put together and also have some uh, uh, fairly significant updates to bring people about the squad as they uh, begin to kind of start to transition our focus to game prep away from just uh, what we're learning from kind of beating up and banging on each other. So, uh, as always, want to begin the Nolcast with a tip of the hat to our friends at New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce, fantastic uh, product for us, fantastic sponsor for us. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic uh, product, something that we're proud to be able to uh, continue to work with and proud to tell you as uh, listeners about our authentic uh, enjoyment and appreciation for what the... uh, what goes into the bottle at New Iberia and so conveniently and frequently goes onto our plate uh, wherever we may be. Absolutely, man. It's a great product. And uh, with that, let's jump into our new business here. Uh, a lot of new business today. Uh, this episode, just for a peek behind the curtain, we'll probably shoot for about somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes. And uh, we have many more episodes to record. In fact, I think we'll be recording five more this week, probably. And we'll uh, we'll see when those get released. But Right after this, we're going to roll into another recording. So uh, up first, uh, something that I think we have said was likely to happen for a while now and, and that um, our sources were confident would happen. And it's always difficult to be confident with an NCAA and conference matter, uh, but they were. So I guess whatever hearing they had or, or uh, appeals process, that must have gone pretty well because um, FCU has been confident about this for, I, I would say, at least a month. Like, more confident than other things, right? And uh, and I'm speaking, of course, about Jordan Travis, the transfer quarterback, redshirt freshman who transferred from Louisville, was a uh, 3A player of the year out of Palm Beach, uh, the Benjamin School. At Louisville, was was really mistreated by, by Louisville's staff as, as that staff kind of spiraled. I don't want to say out of control, but kind of out of control and, and, and lost control of that team and um, lost respect of that team for, for good reason based on some of the, the verbal abuse that they were given uh, to the players on that team in practice and whatnot. So uh, Jordan Travis comes in, and I think Florida State people need to be pretty excited about this, if, if for nothing else than, than the increased depth. It helps to alleviate some concerns at quarterback, gives you a real legitimate third option. Uh, like you mentioned, this was always the likely outcome of this situation, and uh, glad that Travis and Florida State can put this in the uh, official category rather than just uh, strongly confident, and he can uh, move on and, and prepare for whatever he thinks may be in front of him. Uh, again, probably probably something more that just is a better feel-good story as far as your depth and uh, knowing that you have three legitimate scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, not sure how much we'll see of Travis uh, this year or in the near future, uh, but a, a talented kid who uh, happy to be able to see that he was he was greenlit by the NCAA as seemingly almost uh, everyone is at this point in time. So don't know what took so long. Doesn't matter at this point. Uh, happy for the kid and good for Florida State to have three legitimate options. Complicating factors, of course, being that not only was it an in-conference transfer, but an in-division transfer. Travis looked decent in the spring game, I thought, running a very, very limited package of the offense, as, as you would expect him to. The arm is not um, not crazy strong, um, but he does seem to get rid of the ball pretty quickly. W- with those very limited packages, he, he knew 
uh, where to get rid of the ball. Um, now, granted, he was going against some walk-ons and, and some true freshmen as far as who, who he was attacking uh, for, for a lot of that game. Pretty mobile guy. I, I, I could see him playing some this year if, if James Blackman were to get hurt. Uh, Hornerbrook has a lot more experience, and I know in our quarterback preview we'll discuss all these options, but there, there's certainly a possibility that he could get some snaps. He's already used his red shirt, so there's no real harm uh, in playing him. If Florida State actually has some blowouts this year, that could that could help uh, and, and be able to get some some backups in to get them some playing time. But there's a chance you could see him maybe in a goal line type package because I, I believe he is a better runner than, than Blackman or Hornerbrook. And when you get down there in that compressed area and you have a bad offensive line, uh, it really does help to have a, a mobile quarterback in the red zone. And last year, Florida State was uh, 125th in red zone efficiency. So anything could help. Yeah, exactly. They'll take whatever they get. And if Travis has a skill set where you can plug and play him and make uh, the team overall a little bit more efficient, then uh, that's that's how he could potentially be used. Again, a kid that I, I doubt you see a ton of in the near future, but uh, good to have some certainty as to what his possibilities are and to be able to let all sides uh, plan accordingly. Absolutely. Okay, next up. Uh, the Bama game potentially being scheduled. This is a report from, I think, ESPN's Chris Lowe uh, that Bama is in talks to schedule a neutral site game uh, in 2025 against Florida State. I got to say, man, I, I really hate this. I, I think this is a bad idea. From a perspective of scheduling, from a perspective of farming out home games, where does your opinion stem from exactly? Mainly that that they're just and they they being Florida State are continuing to to play marquee games in odd numbered years, which is the year in which Florida State is already on the road at Clemson and at Florida, away from Doak. And this I'm not against neutral site games. I, I think there are some negatives to them. I think it hurts local businesses, of which we have some sponsors. Full disclosure, obviously, uh, but it also really hurt season ticket sales, and, and and here's why. Back when Florida State was really, really good, okay, before the HCTV era when they had the, the 14 years of, of top five finishes in a row and all that stuff, maybe sometimes their, their odd-numbered year schedule was, was not very good. But they were so popular that if you were a fan who thought about, all right, maybe I'll just buy season tickets in, in even-numbered years and I'll just buy some uh, some secondary market tickets, in odd-numbered years because we have Miami and then no other games that I really care about. I care about seeing my friends and tailgating, but I don't really care about the other games. Louisville, NC State, they they don't really get me going football-wise. Now, it doesn't work the same way. Prior, the pressure would be, shoot, I don't want to lose my priority number, right? Because you, you donate all this time, you get a certain priority number, you, you get better seats. Now, if they have less than 30,000 season tickets being sold, what, what do you care? You're not going to lose much as far as your priority goes. You're going to jump right back in in an, in an even-numbered year and still get really good tickets. So you can say, yeah, eh, if Florida State doesn't really care about me, the season ticket holder. They don't, they don't care about scheduling a, a, a good game at home to accompany the Miami game in odd-numbered years. I'll just go ahead and buy season tickets in even-numbered years and in odd-numbered years – 
I'll go ahead and plunk down a little extra. Maybe we'll sit in the box for the Miami game or, or the Champions Club. And maybe I'll, I'll, I'll plunk down a little bit extra for, uh, for a nicer, nicer tailgate pass uh, to, to park and, and, and really enjoy myself in a nice spot for a couple of weeks. And then I'll just stay home the rest of the weeks. Scheduling neutral site games in odd-numbered years is really thumbing your nose as an administration at your season ticket holders. And I know the majority of your money comes from TV. I get that. But you can't sit out here and bemoan the lack of season ticket holders while engaging in these type of scheduling practices. You're already doing it with the LSU series in which you did not go home and home. You went uh, Orlando and New Orleans, which are really cool places, I got to admit, for other fan bases to visit. However, in my opinion, just the complete lack of home and homes that Florida State is is doing, uh, I mean, really for the for the next, gosh, uh, like pull up their future schedules, right? I'm I'm doing it here, but the Notre Dame Notre Dame series with, with the ACC is um, is a complicating factor, and, and I'll give them that, and that's something they really cannot control. However, here we go. So 2020 next year at West or excuse me against West Virginia and Atlanta. I don't have a problem with that. If you told me this Bama game was was 2028 or excuse me or or, or 2026 or something, whatever. That's that's fine. I know they play Notre Dame that year, but it being in, in an odd numbered year. So here are your odd numbered years recently and upcoming. Okay. 2017. Remember who mm-hmm. you played then? Yeah. Same same point of conversation Bama. here. Your your home schedule, not any good. 2019, Boise State. Again, who's the second best game at home you have this year? NC State, I guess. People are not going to get excited about that, and you can't blame them. 2021, you, you you lucked out. You have Notre Dame at home. That's that's the return trip for going up there uh, last year. Then 2023 is an ugly, ugly one. Damn. You have 2023. You have what? The LSU series, most likely. Yeah, the LSU right? series, and you're away at uh, Virginia Tech. So you're you're away at BC. You're away at Clemson. You're away at Florida. Obviously, these are all the the odd number, even number years that we're talking about. Uh, you're away at Wake, and you're away at Virginia Tech. Your home schedule is Louisville, Miami, NC State, and Syracuse. Exactly. Now, in 2027, this does get fixed because Georgia comes to, to Doak in 2027, and you go to Georgia in 28. This is a really tough sell, though. 17, 19, 23, 25, if this Bama deal gets done, that would be four out of five odd-numbered seasons in which you have farmed out a really quality opponent to a neutral site and given the shaft to season ticket holders. Not even to mention, like you just did, that the fa- that doing this, like your chance of making the playoffs, if you have to go at Clemson, at Florida, neutral site against elite, that, that's that's not a great chance of, of making the playoffs. The, the chance you get at least two losses there is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the main concern I have is stop talking to me about, hey, buy season tickets if you're going to keep doing this stuff. It's nonsense. If you do this, to me, it opens up more comparisons to the NFL product. If you're going to put college football in a, in a neutral site stadium, I'd rather watch the NFL. It's a better quality of athlete. It's a cleaner game, fewer mistakes. And I love college football. I like college football more than the NFL. But within that is the pageantry 
and actually being on college campuses and college stadiums. This is not smart. Like, don't 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 screw over your season ticket holders for four out of five odd number seasons. Because if they're smart, and look, we just did the booster episode where where we told people if you listen to us consistently, you should be a booster. You should support your school if you're putting this much amount of your time invested in your life into Florida State. But look, I, it's very hard for me to tell people buy season tickets in an, in an odd numbered year with, with with those kind of home schedules. That's that's not that's not good. I should mention that by 2025, the playoff might expand eight teams, and thus two losses might not be disqualifying if one is a non-conference loss and you were still able, able to win your conference. Um, but uh, am I am I off base here that, that you're you're kind of screwing over your 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 fans when you do this in odd number of years? And it's so foreseeable. I, I went back in our archives. I've been writing about this at Tomahawk Nation. Since 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I this just is not a new thing. I had a flashback. It's it's the same conversation that you and I had when I, when we were talking about uh, them trying to schedule Florida State, Alabama the first time in 2010, 2011 or so. Um, it's interesting. Interesting that they weren't able to move that to an even number year. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Bama probably has plans for 2024. Seems like that would be a more um, a, a better date if possible. But uh We'll see. Again, this is just a report. Chris Lowe, though, is pretty pretty plugged in when it comes to most matters SEC and uh, have a feeling there's probably a, a significant amount of validity to this, and we'll see if it ever turns official. I'm looking at prior prior years. Did, did they play anybody in the non-conference away from home in odd-numbered years? 15 was a no. Uh, 13 was a no. 11... Nope. 11, they had Oklahoma come to town. Look at that. That seems like it's smart. 09? 09, they did go to BYU. And then and BYU came back to town. Again, I think that's a mistake. Uh, but it's not like BYU, I think, would have would have made or, or not made a, a season ticket decision for you. 2007... And I, I trust me, I'll, I'll get off. I just saw this. I'm like, how are you going to do this again? Like, this is this is so dumb. Yeah, 2007, they did it at Colorado. Uh, so, and then they also played um, they also played Bama away from home. Remember Jacksonville, Cody Fag game, and and the Geno Hayes game. You could refer to those as tied God, that home schedule for 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 Florida State fans that year. UAB. <laughs> NC State, Miami, Duke, Maryland. Woo boy. Puke. Uh, uh, that's – so, okay. 07, 09. We said 11 they did not, right? So, they went like three consecutive se- seasons without doing this. 11, 13, 15, they did not, they did not screw it up. So, that's, that's good. 17 they did. 19 they, they, they did. You're talking about – a super majority of seasons in, in, in the last like decade and a half that are odd numbered seasons in which they've screwed this up. Now, I got into this a little bit with with Tom Block on, on Twitter, who I respect a lot, and he basically said, "Look, the the Notre Dame game is a it, it's a complicating factor here, which I agree with him, and it's also very difficult to schedule home and homes when you're saying, yeah, hey, you come here in 2025, and we'll go to you in 2030, right? Um, I get that." But 
why not schedule a lesser game with with somebody coming to Doak? Uh, may, go go play. I don't know some go go bring in Kansas or some Power Five team. That way you get credit for a Power Five game as opposed to giving away a game away from home um, in a season which your fans already might not be too happy because you're going to lose several games most likely because they are on the road. Anyway, cue the fans for telling me that uh, that all of Florida State's national title uh, seasons have come when they have been um, on the road at UF and Clemson. That's true, but a lot of that in the early 90s was because Florida State really couldn't beat Miami on the road. And so they needed Miami to come to Doak. Nowadays, that's not not as big of a concern. Not as big of a concern, yes. Uh, but uh, interesting thing to look at and just, you know, fascinating, at least for somebody like me to kick around what the 2023, 2024, 2025 schedule looks like. And, and you're right. It's a, something that they got to be cognizant of. And, and yes, for full disclosure, we're... Uh, partners with uh, with local businesses and people who have a vested interest in this, but there's a you know there's a a lot of different uh, parties involved in decisions like this. So uh, we'll we'll continue to look at it and see if that ever becomes official. Uh, but it does appear as though Florida State is actively seeking to pair up with Alabama again. And yeah, man, scheduling scheduling schools like Alabama and Georgia that's a uh, Hard to know exactly what the landscape's going to look like in five, eight, ten years from now, but uh, it. I hope it's a continued uh, indication of intent that you're going to try to play college football at the highest level. Because if you're not, uh, maybe maybe those aren't the schools to schedule at this point in time. By the way, uh, Georgia could totally fall off the map if if, if their continued water crisis happens. Right? I mean, like, like maybe Tennessee will rise again. <laughs> If uh, if they were to prevail in that battle, and uh, and Georgia will go back to being irrelevant, that's true. That's true. But if if Georgia fails because the water crisis, I I don't think it's probably a good sign for our friends in the Panhandle and Apalachicola and other places, or so, for you because you live in Georgia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, that would probably have a negative <laughs> impact. Uh, but who knows? All right, uh, Marvin Wilson tweaked his knee at uh, at, at at practice as uh, as Willie Taggart described it. Uh, went down. Uh, in a heap per reports and laid on the ground for a little while and uh, then got up. Obviously, a lot of fears when he came out to practice with uh, with a single crutch and a uh, a sleeve on the knee. But uh, Taggart said they're basically holding him out for an abundance of caution. Uh, not, not an exact quote, but uh, basically said it's, it's not something real serious, but also didn't really give a whole lot of specifics. So... Uh, until I see him back at practice, I think you have to have some concern about this for the Boise State game, at least. Yeah, this is a toughie. You don't you don't really want to uh, get out over your skis here, but any time a coach doesn't give a exact timeline or, hey, look, we think we'll have him back in three days or whatever it may be, uh, then, yeah, tends to tends to peak my interest slightly. Uh, Wilson... I don't think there's a debate as Florida State's best player on the roster, most valuable player at a place where you really uh, don't have a ton of depth to start absorbing injuries. Um, we'll monitor it. We'll follow this. We'll try to bring you the best possible information tied to it. Uh, but at this point, it does appear to be something that they're going to evaluate day to day. And uh, I think the Nolcast will be right there with them watching uh watching this kid and ultimately hoping that we go ahead and see him back in practice as soon as possible with the idea that this is not something that could linger on. 
I mean, look, Marvin is the best player on the team, in my opinion. Uh, I know some people take Terry. I'll I'll, I'll take Marvin. Um, that's a huge deal. If they're going to run that 3-4 front, I think the drop-off from interior lineman number three, who would probably be Robert Cooper with, with Wilson, Durden, Cooper, to number four, uh, whomever you like there, and I think that's probably indicative of there may not be a clear number four. I think the drop-off between those three and number four is significant. And they need Marvin Wilson, I think, to, to, to beat Boise. If they don't have Marvin Wilson against Boise, I will likely pick Boise to beat them. I think they're going to need stops. because I think they're going to have a hard time blocking Boise. They have to get stops. They have to get the ball back. You can't have Boise running the football on you. Marvin Wilson is, is a very, uh, very important piece of this team. I mean, like I said, he's the best player on their team, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Um, at, at, I think at at worst, he's the second best player on the team. Uh, you'd be hard hard pressed to make arguments for any, anybody other than, than Terry, most likely. Uh, so they'll they'll be monitoring that pretty pretty closely, obviously. And you you need him for the whole year, but at the same time, we we discussed that the Boise game is an extremely important game for getting off on the right foot. And to take it back to the season ticket discussion and the ticket discussion, they're not having a whole lot of success over there selling season tickets this year. They're they're going to depend on a lot of walk up tickets. You lose that Boise game. That's probably not going to happen too much for Louisiana Monroe. Um, so it is important they beat Boise. It's important to get Marvin Wilson back. The good news is that it was not some sort of uh, ACL tear or something like that uh, to where he'll miss the season or anything. But Taggart was very uh, sort of not obtuse, but uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just Ambiguous. Nondescript. Yeah, ambiguous. Right. In 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 timeline, uh, but did say, hey, we're, you know, we're being cautious with it. Another injury to monitor, uh, Warren Thompson out with a concussion. Concussion doesn't not really have a timetable, so I, I have no idea how long he'll be out. Um, hopefully not too long. We wish Warren the best. But that's an important one to monitor because um, I I would kind of like to see him start over Keith Gavin, I think, because Gavin has never shown that he can be dependable catching the football. Uh, and I know Thompson has had some drop issues of his own, but he's been having a really good camp by all accounts. And with Tamari and Terry currently out, uh, you, you need a, a big threat on the outside who, who can physical somebody and, and go up and catch the football. I love what they have at the slot receiver position, but if you're missing Thompson uh, and you're missing um, Tamari and Terry, that, that, does, that does make you a little bit weaker there on the outside. I think Terry should be back pretty soon. The initial timeline given by the staff, I believe, was two to three weeks. So maybe end of next week he would he'd be back, um, assuming that he's in game shape. That'd be great. But they, they really, in my opinion, need to have one of the two back for for the Boise State game. Everything you just said there, Thompson was having a, a really solid camp. Uh, wide receiver is a place where Florida State's blessed with a, a decent amount of depth, but uh, has picked up one or two uh, knocks here. Uh, but Thompson is a, a guy who appeared to be emerging, and hate to see it for a kid. We'll watch it, see what it is. Concussions are, uh, you know, no two concussion is the same and hard to put a real timeline on it. But uh, hopefully something that, at least by uh, – by the time Florida State comes back from IMG, I would hope to see him back out there, and uh, if not, would start to possibly raise a, a red flag or two in my head. 
Absolutely. Um, and then we have one more thing. I wanted to get your thoughts here. The team is going to IMG as part of their multi-year agreement to do some uh, some training camp down there at IMG. Yeah, I think it's a good, <clears throat> you know, I think it's only a good thing. We talked a, a good bit about this last year. Uh, again, doesn't mean that Florida State's going to start pipelining the school or, you know, signing eight kids a year out of it or anything else, but I think it's smart. Gives them a little bit of exposure in the state that maybe they don't have a, a ton of. Uh, sends Willie back to his own kind of neck of the woods, and I'm sure that's nice for him. Uh, I don't think there's a, a ton of downside, and I, I do think there's a plus to – you know, I don't. I don't know that you necessarily need to go away for two weeks or something like that. But I, I do think there's a plus to getting away and uh, having a singular focus for a couple of days to really be able to uh, build morale, camaraderie, all the things that people talk about in a locker room. And uh, I, again, I don't think this is a, a massive deal, but I think uh, there's not too many things but small positives to come out of this agreement that they have with the school. I, I completely agree with that. Um... If it's more bonding, that's that's great. By the way, I don't know if you saw this or not. Um, remember a kid named R.J. Henderson? Absolutely, yeah. He no longer has the UF stuff in his Twitter profile, somebody sent me. And uh, he's not enrolled yet at Florida. This is the uh, – we're talking about the kid that spells his name uniquely? A-R-J-E-I, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Almost looks like a, a Dutch name, to be honest with you. But, yeah, uh, wide receiver prospect out of Texas that we talked a, a decent amount last year. And, uh, hmm, interesting. Something something to keep an eye on, definitely. Yeah. Um, like we talked about with U.S. class, things are not necessarily what they what they seem with, the, uh, with, with what they actually signed on signing day. Um, and, obviously, the quarterback um, – transferred after some pretty serious allegations. Chris Steele has left in part due to the failure of the university to deal with those allegations. Uh, Diave Hammond, their four-star offensive lineman, didn't qualify. The best player in their class, in my opinion, uh, Dewan Black, didn't qualify. We'll see about we'll see about R.J. Henderson. I don't think Wardrick Wilson uh, is in yet. That's Probably through no fault of his own. I think that's a passport issue or something, or a citizenship issue or something like that. He was at. Uh, I think he's. I think I'd read he's a, he's a Bahamian citizen, and there's some kind of issue there. But that's that's a ton of like Florida's class who they signed but didn't actually make it in so far. I mean a. a if you look at this, and I'm not trying to make this a, a Florida show, and I, I do think Dan Mullen's a hell of a coach, so I, I want to put that out there. Coaching-wise, recruiting-wise, certainly there's there's some uh, room for skepticism there. So of their top kids, I mean, you're looking at like almost a third of their of their four-star rated kids didn't make it in. That's pretty crazy. Or didn't make it in or were dismissed before a, a semester was up. You want to go to uh, you want to go to mailbag time? Yeah, let's go ahead and switch our focus to the mailbag. Before we do that, thank our friends at Madison Social. I uh, want to remind everybody of FSUJacksTailgate.com. It is the tailgate that we've discussed with you uh, throughout summer. 
Uh, always fortunate for us to be able to work with uh, hospitality professionals uh, as we have for uh, this will be our what fourth season working with the good people at for so. the table restaurant group uh, fantastic partners uh, guys that are exceptionally reliable and uh, I would encourage all of you if you have not planned made plans to do so uh, to join us in Jacksonville prior to the Boise State game 27,000 square feet of air conditioned uh, just looks like a big uh, a big dream for an adult to go and knock about before a game. They've got giant beer pong things that I've looked at. They're bringing in uh, tons of stuff that they're trying to uh, to make this as as fun an opportunity possible. And uh, beer, air conditioning, professional bathrooms, uh, all the things that uh, one would want. And it's a, a great situation that I would encourage our listeners to continue to be mindful of. Absolutely. All right. FSUJacksTailgate.com. Go there. We got some mailbag time here. We are uh, new business took a little bit longer than I thought it would, but pretty cool. Um, just shows we're, we like having discussions. Uh, you want to read first? Or you want me to read first? Uh, I'll let you take the first one here. All right. Uh, mailbag time. Uh, question says I had a spinoff from the question about the, the hypothetical that schools could only recruit in state, which is one of the shows we did last week. If each state only had one FBS team. And they could only recruit in state, which state would have the best team? I guess that's just a convoluted way of asking which state has the most overall talent in high school. Is there a clear choice? I imagine the contenders are Florida, Georgia, California, Texas, Louisiana. Is it close? Has it changed significantly over the last 10 years? Um, so you can strike Louisiana from that list. I, I think you could probably strike Georgia and California from that list. Georgia is quickly joining the big four. But within the big four, I I, I would take – Florida and Texas as as my two. Florida, I think, has better overall athletes than Texas does. However, they are not as developed. You have to develop them well. I don't think that the money that's put into high school football in the state of Florida, I mean, as you've seen, some of the some of the refs aren't even getting paid what they reasonably should be paid uh, to, to these high school games. If, if you guys have been following. Uh, that story. But I, I would probably take Florida. Uh, the question continues here. I should probably read the whole question. Uh, not that it matters, but the reason I ask is because I heard that Howard Schnellenberger said if you give him every recruit he wanted south of I-4, he would never lose a game. Is it even true he said that? Probably. And I lived in Texas for a while, and being Florida biased, I always used to argue with those Texas folks that Florida has more talent. I'm not trying to put down anyone's state. Obviously, there's top talent everywhere. But if you asked every D1 coach if he got to pick any kids he wanted out of one state, would there be a consensus or is it pretty evenly spread out? I, I don't think there would be a consensus. Says, I love the Nolcast. I don't eat hot sauce, but I'd probably, I'd, but I still buy Louisiana solely because of the Nolcast and give it away at the holidays or to shelters. Uh, I, I reckon I probably end up buying a hell of a lot more than the people that actually eat it, to be honest with you. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much. I, I don't think that there would be a consensus. You probably have maybe like 35, 35, 20, 10 of Florida and Texas roughly tied, maybe a little edge to Florida there, uh, and then maybe Cali and uh, and Georgia. The people who would pick Cali and Georgia would probably say that they produce quarterbacks at, at a really high rate, which is true. Florida quarterbacks typically have not been that good, and uh, the state relative to the talent it produces – does lack at the quarterback position. Although I'm of the mindset that might be might be changing a little bit. I'm also working on a bit of a project on this, and, and it's it's very much just a project in my head. So I, I perhaps should not 
call it a project yet, but for Banner Society, I, I have this theory, and, and I want to investigate this more. I wanted to bounce this off you actually offline, but, but we can do it online as a cool idea here if you're up for it. You know how a lot of major league teams don't want to put their their minor league parks in places like Colorado Springs or Albuquerque or Mexico City or, or the places that, that are at real extreme elevation because it's almost impossible to pitch there and it doesn't allow you to pitch and, and develop as a pitcher. I, I do wonder if this, the speed in the state of Florida, which that's where I really think the state shines, is the overall defensive speed. I wonder if the speed in Florida starting at the Pop Warner level, does hurt quarterback development because it's so hard to pass protect and you have su- such tiny windows to throw into. We often regard this as a positive because you're going against really tough competition. But in baseball, pitching in those ridiculous conditions is considered a, a negative for development because it does not allow you to, to develop confidence and get positive reps, right? And work on your stuff. In I do wonder in the state of Florida, as far as quarterback development, is all that speed that people think is positive. Hey, he's, he's battle tested. He's going against that kind of that kind of speed. Could that actually be a negative for development because you're not able to uh, to to get through your concepts and sit in the pocket because the pocket's always collapsing? What do you think about that? There certainly are reasons, uh, and I don't know exactly why. When I look at choosing the state of Florida, I will say right now that I would choose the state of Florida, uh, but my concerns would be the quarterback position and a little bit of a concern with the propensity to be able to create uh, elite linemen on either side of the ball. But I still think you're, the defense that you would be be able to put out on the field is of such a higher level than any of those other states uh, that I'd, I'd go with Florida probably eight and a half times out of ten. But your your quarterback theory is is very is an intriguing one certainly. I'm sure we'll look into that more. Um, maybe maybe next off season. I don't know, or maybe for signing day. Maybe, maybe look on Danner Society and check that out. Uh, we have another one here. I recently listened to the freshman draft episode. While excited for the incoming class, I couldn't feel anything but underwhelmed at the lack of offensive signatures we secured this February. You guys have addressed the QB position misses at length, but in your opinion, will we regret not getting at least one to two scholarship running backs slash receivers in Tribe 19? We are certainly recruiting both positions well this year, but I'm not sure I've ever heard of a Power 5 school not taking QB running back slash receiver uh, in a single class. You want to lead off this one? I'm not as concerned. A quarterback is a little bit of a different situation. Uh, and I'm, if I'm going to be critical of the staff last year after signing day, signing days, uh, I don't know that I'll, I'll wane my criticism at this point a whole lot for what they've been able to bring in at the quarterback position. But no, I think, um, in fact, I would, I would give credit to them for not wasting a scholarship at, at running back. So I would immediately not dismiss this guy's question. I think it's a good one, but um, when you look at it a little bit further, I don't have the same concern about lack of still. I, I would rather see you sign uh, two to three kids at wide receiver every year than clump classes together. But I, I do think you could do that and get away with it. And at times when you're this staff, and I'm not saying Florida State's sisters of the poor when it comes to recruiting, but um, you need to use whatever advantage you get. And if you have years where you can – uh, sell a, a vacant roster then you need to take advantage of that as much as possible and try to 
get as many quality signatures as you can on on the uh, the line that is dotted. All right, uh, I I pretty much agree with you. I, I've seen a lot of people saying with the Jordan Tra- Travis uh, waiver getting approved that that uh, you know, Willie Taggart said he had a plan and and, and the plan worked perfectly. I I strongly disagree with that. Right? If it worked out okay for him, there's no way that not signing a quarterback was was the plan, right? In fact, their actions for for 12 months indicate that that was not the plan. Uh, not not taking a running back, I think, is certainly there was some intentionality to that, and it looks like it's working out perfectly. Uh, and receiver. I don't think it's going to hurt him as long as they can sign four in this class, which I, I believe they'll do. They already have they already have two. Um, I, I mean, Robinson, I, I think, will go whenever he decides to, to go public, assuming they have a decent year. And, um, and yeah, we have uh, we have yet more questions to get to, plus a new segment here that we're debuting within our, our, our mailbag segment. Absolutely. So we'll use this segment to uh, kind of flesh out, maybe have a, a little bit of a broader conversation on one particular topic. Uh, happy to be able to bring this to you uh, due to our new uh, sponsor, Travis Johnson. All right. Yeah. Ask the expert here. Uh, so we're basically it's our question of the week type thing, sponsored, of course, by Travis Johnson, attorney at law. There are only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys, 280. That is a select group. Travis has over a decade of experience practicing family law. Whether it's a small matter or a huge matter, we know every matter is important to you. Travis also has extensive appellate work. However, with family law, you really don't want to have to get into the appellate work. It's hard to win those cases. You want to win the first time. Make a call you can trust. Travis Johnson for Metter and Johnson. You can reach Travis 850-435-9919. Again, that's 850-435-9919 or visit MetterJohnsonLaw.com. It's M-E-A-D-O-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-L-A-W.com. Based in Pensacola, but has cases throughout the state and will come to you. All right, bud. So in our first introduction of Ask the Expert, the question posed to us is what record would see Florida State's recruiting take off, maintain, suffer a slight drop off or crater? Final little addition to this is does the bowl game matter? That's a really good question. And we thank Johnny for asking that one this week. Uh, A lot of people asked variants of this, by the way. So I I did kind of change this around slightly. Okay, so I'm going to tackle the last part of this first. No, the bowl game does not matter for Florida State recruiting. The vast majority of signing now is done before the bowl game is before any kind of bowl game is going to be played because of the early signing period. So I'm only concerned with a regular season record. That's 12 games, not 13. So when you ask me, hey, if Florida State goes nine and four, how does that affect recruiting? It doesn't. They need not not for this year. For future years, sir, it's it can be good to win the bowl game. Right now, Florida State is tenth in the nation in the recruiting rankings. Um, Eleven four stars, ten three stars, no five stars. But hey, you went five and seven last year. I don't really expect you to sign uh, five stars after doing that. However, I think this is a really interesting question because it it kind of gets into this idea of 
how much improvement are you already baking in to your current recruiting pitch? If there are a lot of people out there who who tweet at me, and I know Twitter is is largely the lunatic fringe. I, I get that, but they tweeted me, "Hey, if Florida State improves by three games over what they won last year, their recruiting will really take off." Right? And and I say no on that. I I, I think that they absolutely are baking in several win improvement in their, their recruiting pitch currently. So for me, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this and you can maybe disagree on this. I think we have some disagreement from talking pre-show. I think that if they go nine and three, they're going to see a, a recruiting bump. Okay. So my bump record, like to, to be basically somewhat better than they are right now, I would say nine and three. I think they're maintained to kind of be in that, let's call it, I don't know, 10 to 14 range would be eight and four. I think they would see a, a dip, but probably stay in the top 20 if they go seven and five. And I think you would see a bit of a crater if they go six and six and only improve by one game. I think to see some enormous jump, you would need to see them go 10 and two or 11 and one. Like if you wanted to see them get into the top, I don't know, top seven or something. If they, if they went 10 and two, and let's say your only losses are maybe Clemson by like, I don't know, three touchdowns as opposed to four or five and a close loss to Florida or something like that. That's that's possible. Although I, I think that beating Florida and losing to like a Virginia or a Boise might actually be better for you recruiting wise uh, down the stretch, especially because recruits do have recency bias. And that last game of the year, you could sell that pretty, pretty well. Say we went into the swamp and beat Florida. So for me, uh, jump is ten and two, bump is nine and three, maintain is eight and four, uh, dip seven and five, and crater will be six and six. <laughs> uh, good, good grouping of uh, situations there. I don't have a ton of variance with you. I, I will just say that I think we tend to. Uh, maybe be contradictory if we're going to say that single games don't impact kids too much and then all of a sudden have these big differences as to what their recruiting class is going to do, um, you know, whether they be uh, eight and four or seven and five, something like that. Now, the, the losses matter when they come matters. Uh, I will say that the biggest game of the year from a recruiting standpoint is is the Florida game, uh, both in where it lies, how that may uh, pair with some of the final message that you have for kids and look anytime you stick a loss on Florida it's nice and that's a a fan base that has some you know has some questions about its own staff and I'm not going to say it's going to going to turn on them by any means with one loss to Florida State but a, a loss in Gainesville to end the year is going to have uh, negative negative implications on what they're trying to do Look, for somebody like me who historically has liked bowl games more than my co-host and has thought maybe they have a slightly more impactful um, direction on the trajectory of a program or blah, 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 bowl games for recruiting purposes, the early signing days basically made them null and void. Uh, If they have any impact on recruiting, it's for future years. And unless you're playing in the playoffs, I'm pretty much willing to write bowl games off Uh, tied to recruiting at all now sometimes the only clause i'll put in there is that uh like maybe you get 
maybe you get sent to the Sugar Bowl in a year when it's not a playoff and you're able to do some next year recruiting in New Orleans or something like that. If you're able to take advantage of your your geographic location, then that's maybe one of the only ways that I'll continue to try to tie a bowl game to recruiting. But uh, at this point, I, I think you're you're right in basically just lopping that off the schedule and, and not even discussing as to what type of impacts that could have on, on your current modern-day rec- recruiting class. So if you go 9-4, and four, or excuse me, 9-4, and 9-3, and you're, you're almost certainly to be ranked. And I think that's a good point you made, by the way, about if you, if you get to New Year's Six game, uh, which almost assuredly means that you have two or fewer losses, um, just simply going to the game could help you with recruiting because the kids aren't going to see the result before they sign, but they will see – that you've been selected eight and four in most years is not going to have you ranked going into the bulls. So like, I don't think Florida state's going to finish the year, finish the regular season ranked most likely. Cause I'm not going to predict them to go nine and three. I'm, I think I'm at seven and five right now. Most years, eight and four does not end up being ranked last year. We actually had like six or seven ranked teams, but last year was a really weird year in which the top teams just had so few losses. If that happens again, eight and four could get a team ranked. But for instance, in uh, in 2017, only two teams were ranked uh, at the end of the regular season at eight and four, uh, Mississippi State and NC State. And then I'm just looking historically here. For the most part, if you go eight and four, you are not in, in any year ranked. If you win your bowl game to get to nine and four, you could. But again, for the purposes of this discussion, we don't really care about bowl games. 20, uh, 2016, we had one, two, three, four, four teams uh, who were ranked at the end of the regular regular season with eight and four. That would be Auburn, Florida, Iowa, and Pitt. Of course, LSU was also ranked that year uh, at seven and four. Now that was a that was a really good LSU team, and they played a ridiculous schedule. So I, I don't I don't think Florida State will get get the benefit of the doubt if they were to go seven and four with, with a canceled uh, hurricane game which I think is what happened to LSU that year, Um, but uh, uh, why they only had 11 games. Anyway, so to recap, I think we're pretty much in agreement. Jump 10-2, bump 9-3, maintain 8-4, dip 7-5, crater 6-6 or worse. Oh, buy or sell time. Absolutely. Buy or sell time brought to you by our friends at Resolution Home Loans. Fantastic people for us to work with. Uh, Bud had a first class experience with them. 25 of our other listeners have had as well. Want to uh, just remind people 844 FSU Loan. That is 844 FSU Loan. Shannon Young. Uh, one of the better people that you could ever go through that experience with, guys that we're fortunate to work with, guys that we wholeheartedly uh, recommend. And again, our friends at Resolution Home Loans have been a great partner for us, and uh, we firmly believe they would be a great partner for you. Absolutely. Guys, use them. Also, great for refinance. And if you want to uh, to do a little debt consolidation using the, using the equity in your home, there's no better time than now. Uh, These rates are awesome. I actually just hit Shannon up the other day and said, hey, you already got me a good rate. You want to get me like an even better rate? He's like, yeah, let me me see what I can do with that. So we'll see as far as as a refi uh, goes. I know we've had several listeners uh, go through the refi process as well. And and right now the the rates are are awesome. And, uh, you know, especially if you've already done one with resolution, then you get your fees waived because you're, you're, you're a lifetime Hamilton member. And uh, absolutely, go check them out. Buy or sell time. 
All right, first one is that Blackman is third team all ACC or better at the end of the year. I'm going to sell this one because Florida State draws Miami and Virginia from the Coastal Division. I believe those are the two best defenses in the Coastal Division, uh, and I, I think that will that will hurt his chances. So for me, it's a sell. It'll probably be somebody who who does not draw the the, the two best defenses in in the opposite division. Um, if you figure that Perkins is two and uh, and obviously Trevor is one at Clemson. Maybe Ryan Willis uh, would, would would be a good candidate because they don't really play anybody very any good from the Atlantic, and so they they're already in the coastal at VT, and they, they have an opportunity. So I, for me, this is a sell. Yeah, I'll sell this as well. Love to think it's true. Love to think that we're entertaining the idea. Do think Blackman has a chance to put up some impressive stats, but uh, do not see him being in the all conference conversation at the end of the year, unfortunately. The other thing here is that that does not necessarily mean that he is not one of the three best. But when people are voting on these things, they really just look at the total numbers. And I have a hard time. I have a hard time thinking that that with those two defenses there and the fact that Florida State plays Boise and Florida in the non-conference, that his conference numbers or overall numbers are going to be enough to be to be top three in the ACC. Not not with not with this line he is blocking for. If Travis has significant, this is a quarterback Jordan Travis, if Travis has significant non-garbage time snaps, we are staring at a 6-6 six and six season in the face. But by or so. I assume this means like not just red zone special package stuff. Is that what you take it to mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I think this is, uh, you know, not, not any kind of specialty or uh, – this is just throwing throwing him out there for a quarter plus a ball. Yeah. Okay. So two hundred snaps for me would be that's like that's like two and a half games worth of snaps. Yeah, I'll definitely buy six and six. I, I, I think. I mean, right. I'm kind of torn between seven and five, eight and four. I'm leaning seven and five, uh, just because I think certain positions lack depth and in, in the schedule. Uh, I I don't think it's as easy as people think. Um, I think it's easier than last year, but I don't think it's quite as easy as people think. So if you have to have Jordan Travis play significant snaps, which means that he's taking – in my mind, this I'm taking this to mean he's playing snaps that should be going to James Blackman, but James Blackman is unavailable for injury or whatever. Yeah, that, to me, that's that's an all-day buy. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to be boring and, and echo your sentiment as there as well. We are uh, in for a rough year if that somehow comes to fruition, in my opinion. Uh, third buyer sell here. Bud calls Akeem Dent, Greg Dent, six or more times throughout the season. <laughs> That's this is good. I, yeah, I I don't. It's like a mental block I have. I'll sell this. I, th- I think I've I've listened to most of our recent stuff that we've done uh, for numerous reasons, and I I think you've uh, I think you've cleared the Akeem Dent, Greg Dent mental mental hurdle. We've been been pretty consistent. Con- You've been pretty consistently Akeem Dent here recently, uh, so I'll I'll go ahead and sell this. Uh, yeah, I think I'm with you there. I'm I'm, I'm also going to sell. I, I think I'm going to call Akeem Akeem uh, from now on, which is weird because I I've had more interaction uh, with Akeem than I ever had with Greg. Yeah. Well, once one of those things gets you know mentally imprinted, it's hard as hell to. Uh, to break how many times did we <laughs> uh i mean we watched 
Bradley Chubb just beat the hell out of Florida State's quarterback year after year after year, and then seemingly after two minutes of discussion, he would always revert back to Nick Chubb. So uh, once once that mental impression gets in there, it can be hard to break. But I also think we'll be uh, further aided by the level of play that one Akeem Dent gives. That uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of a whole lot of question as to who that uh, which Dent that is or which Dent uh, was paired with the productivity. And uh, Akeem, I have a feeling, is going to probably going to make his own name uh, pretty, pretty dominantly known. Absolutely. OK, uh, so by the way, uh, news here, uh, Jalen Parks has been medically disqualified. So that sucks for him. I know he just battled injury after injury after injury. But no, I, I, I like him and his family a whole lot. Hopefully he'll be able to get his degree and, uh, and still have a lot of success uh, in, in whatever field he chooses. That's uh, former four-star defensive lineman, Jalen Parks. We had had a couple questions say, is Jalen Parks ever going to play? And uh, I kept saying, no, he's had like several surgeries and, and pretty serious injuries. So by sell, Cole Minshew has played his last down of football at Florida State. Again, Cole Minshew out indefinitely as he uh, recovers from the next surgery that he had before spring ball. I'll buy. I don't think you get much out of Cole Minshew. I think he may play another 15 snaps for Florida State, if I'm perfectly honest with you. Uh, but I do think that he could suit it up uh, at least one more time. I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, and and buy that, that I, I don't think he'll play anymore. Okay. Which the larger discussion here is that Florida State is now down its – two best linemen that, that back in spring you would have projected them to have. And Dickerson, who would by far the best lineman on this team, and I don't think it would be close like by a mile. Uh, and then Minshew, who would have been the best lineman, in my opinion. So, you know, when you're thinking about all this improvement that Coach Clements is going to make to the offensive line, and I do think they'll make a big jump, you, you got to remember, man, the talent is just not there. It's, it's not. He doesn't have a whole lot to work with. This is – by far the biggest talent gap he's ever had relative, at least as far as I can tell, relative to his his offensive line against the defensive lines on the schedule. So uh, that kind of actually leads us into our last question here, or our last buy or sell prompt of the day. And we told us to be a 30, 40-minute show, and uh, we're, we're going to do 55 minutes here. This will be Kendall Browell's worst offense he has ever coordinated. Kendall Browell began as an offensive coordinator in 2015 officially. His offense is S&P Plus, which is the stat we like to use here on the show because it adjusts for opponent. Uh, third, 27th, 30th, and 20th. I think uh, – did you go first on the last one or did I go first? Uh, I think I went I think I think went first. I knew I went first because I sat there and really mulled it over and uh, wasn't sure exactly where I wanted to go. With that that's one. right. That's right. So I will go ahead and buy this. Um, I don't think Florida State's going to have a top 30 offense. They were 97th. Last year, I uh, have some good stats coming on that later in our, one of our season preview shows that we're already already working on the outline for. I think they'll have a big jump on offense. I don't think they're going to go from 97th to inside the top 30, which is what they would have to do uh, to not be the worst offense he's ever coordinated. And look, a lot of this is related to the talent up front and the lack of of uh, good players they have or even average quality players they have at, at, that, at those positions. I think they'll be much better coached. I think they'll be more cohesive, but I, I can't go in, in like realistically buy this. And man, this was a very negative buy or sell segment. <laughs> but I think people would would kind of tell if we were faking it, right? Probably. 
Yeah, yeah, probably. I, I unfortunately, for uh, purpose of entertainment, cannot disagree with you on this one and uh, provide a contrarian opinion. I just don't think, even in my wildest dreams, do I see this being a top thirty offense, uh, which would be required to make this a uh, a non-true statement. And I will depressingly so have to uh, have to join you in buying the idea that this will be. Uh, Kendall Brawl's worst offense, at least from a statistical standpoint, that he's ever been at the helm of. Absolutely. All right. Um, so we will uh, we will join we will be back again with an episode pretty shortly. Wide receivers are a lot of depth. Good stuff at the secondary. Yay. We'll end with a, a touch of positivity there. So yes, absolutely. Nice. Nice. <laughs>